0: Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death, and cover over a multitude of sins. Uh, Our speaker today is Shauna K. Tucker, and Shauna is a key member of our congregation here at St. Aldate's. And um, you might know that we're passionate here about raising up new people to preach. And investing in emerging preachers, and um, Shauna is one of those people. This is she's preached for the first time on a Sunday just before Christmas. It's her second time preaching today, and I've told Shauna that this is the most encouraging church context to preach in in the entire UK. So, um, so you know, as, as <laughs> <laughs> so would you give a very warm welcome to Shauna?
1: I'm Shauna, and today we'll be be talking about prayers that open the heavens. We'll be looking at what it looks like to invest our prayers. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've been journeying through the book of James together, and we've learned so much about what it means to live out our faith practically, the real-life implications of our faith. And along the way, we've seen some interesting props and demonstration. Who remembers, we had a frying pan one time, there was a mirror, there was some board games, and who remembers an ox tongue? Anyone remembers that last one? So we've had some interesting things happening here, all to say that James is writing to the early church and to us today to encourage us to live out our faith, to go beyond hearing the word to living out the word when the rubber meets the road in our everyday situations and dealings with God and with man. There are a few things that James talks to us about, very practical things. He talks about persevering in trial, listening and doing, taming the tongue, and seeking true wisdom as we looked at last week. All very practical things. And then he ends this letter with prayer. And everything else on the surface seems so practical, so active, and then he moves into prayer. But it fits perfectly. James' final encouragement to us as the church is to live out our belief in God. To pray as if we believe that God is everything that he says he is. To pray in faith. So right off the bat, we see that prayer is not a passive activity, but it's an active, central, and powerful aspect of our faith. And so today we want to hear what God might be calling us to, which areas of our life Jesus might be saying, raise your expectations in me. So let's pray. Jesus, we invite you in our oh God, and I pray that you would accomplish in every heart the purpose for which you have sent this word. I pray that you would raise faith in this place today, oh God, that you would raise our expectations as a people, as a church, as a community, and look to you to do great things in this season. Great. So when I was about seven, I went to the supermarket with my mom. So as most of you know, I grew up in Jamaica, and we do not make certain things in Jamaica, so we have to import lots of things. And so this particular time, I really wanted peanut butter. Really wanted peanut butter. And so, I don't know, maybe I saw it on TV, I don't know why, but I really wanted peanut butter this time, and so I asked my mom, and the answer was no. She said no, because it was out of our budget. We couldn't afford it that week, it was too expensive, and I was so disappointed. And so I remember walking around the supermarket, sulking. I couldn't say anything, because that was the end of that conversation. The answer was no. And I remember just feeling really sad about this peanut butter. And then my mom realized this, and she turned around to me, and she said, if you really want this peanut butter, then you should pray about it. And honestly, at that time, I felt like, really? When you could really just bite for me and tell me to pray about it? But I listened to her, I took her on, and I did pray. But I moved on, I moved on from the peanut butter, I wasn't going to get it, and we went home. But then the next week, someone visited our home, and they said they felt like they were supposed to bring something for me. I have other siblings they could have brought for anyone, but they felt they needed to bring something for me. And guess what it was? Any guesses? Peanut Peanut butter. Thank you. It was peanut butter. And so I was like, wow. I was so taken by how I could come to God about this simple thing, and he answered, but then things got weird. So moving on in the next couple of months, people kept bringing peanut butter to our house. Like all the time, they kept bringing peanut butter, bringing peanut butter, till we had too much peanut butter and we had to start giving it away. And so while peanut butter is such a small and inconsequential thing right now in light of all the things happening, It shows that God cares about all the concerns of our lives, the big things and the small things like peanut butter. And looking back, I know that God was teaching me a really important lesson, that I come to him first and foremost in good times, in bad times, in times of needs, that he's the one that I look to ultimately as my source, as my good father. And that's what James encourages us to do in this text. He says, if you're in trouble, you pray. If you're happy, you pray. Whatever it is, you respond with prayer. And this really short text between verses 13 and 18, the word prayer is used seven times. That's how much James wanted us to get the importance of praying and believing God. Nowhere else in his letter do we see so much repetition, but in this small closing bit of the letter. In our busy world, we can feel that we need to do things immediately. If there's a problem, we need to deal with it. We need to set goals and we need to deal with things immediately. If you're sick, you go to the doctor. If you do, and all of this is great. But what we learn from James is that we look to God first, that God is our Father, and He's all-powerful and can meet us in every type of need. And now this does not negate the advances in medicine the amazing NHS. We thank God for this and we thank God for the wisdom that he gives doctors. And we use wisdom and we do go and seek help when we need help. But ultimately what this text is showing us is that our hope and our faith rest in God. Our expectation for healing, for answers to prayer is not in man but in God, whichever means God chooses to use. And so we're given this amazing opportunity to partner with God in close relationship, to have access to his ear, where we can partner with him and lay hold of his promises and see his purposes accomplished on earth. And I always think if we really believe this, if we really believe that God is everything he says that he is, that he is healer, that he is provider, that he is our salvation, that he is our strength, all the things he reveals himself as, would that change the way we approach him in prayer? Would it affect the place prayer holds in our life? The normal Christian life is a life of prayer. And while there are many models and many things we could pray about, James chooses the very easy topic of healing. That's what he chooses to address this church on. Perhaps he knew that many of us struggle with this. Many of us struggle and wonder if God does heal. Maybe he knew that many people have been disappointed and we feel that our prayers haven't been answered. But this is what God wants to speak to us today. That we can raise our expectation that he is still the same. So James says, so we have that our life is supposed to be a life of prayer. But James also offers us some more specifics. He talks to us about the means of prayer, how we go about it. And he later talks about the power of prayer. And so the means. He tells us that when we're sick, we should call for the elders. And then he moves on to say that we pray for each other. The Greek word used for sick in this text is not the same word, the usual word used for sickness in the Bible. And this gives us some deeper insights into the heart of God. The word used is kamno. I think Simon, you can tell me if I said it right, but I think that's the word. And what it means is to be literally worn out, to be done, to be tired, an intense feeling of weariness. Anyone been feeling tired in the last two years, maybe? That's what God is here to meet us in today. And so while we know from the text that God is dealing with physical sickness... He's also dealing with weariness of heart, with disappointment, with hopelessness. He wants to raise us up out of that today. He's also dealing with sin. The scripture talks about us confessing our sins and God forgiving us. And the key thing is that everyone is invited. At first, we see that he says, call the elders. And we might think, great, Stephen and Simon, that's their job. And we leave it at that. But James quickly moves on to say, pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's everyone's job. All of us sitting in here have the power to pray for our brethren. No specific gift of healing is mentioned in this text. The only requirement that is mentioned is that we come in faith. And so it's clear in this text and in the Gospels that God responds to faith. He loves faith. There's scriptures that talk about Jesus not doing any miracles in some places because there was no faith. We see over and over when Jesus deals with the disciples and when he deals with the people he meets along the way. He calls out the presence of faith or the lack thereof. When the disciples are at sea and they're so discouraged and afraid, he says, why are you still afraid? Have faith in God. God wants us to approach him fully convinced that he is who he says he is, and nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible for him. And so maybe when you hear this, you cringe a bit. Or you think, I don't know about that, because of what we've seen And maybe we feel disappointed in times when God hasn't answered the way we want him to answer. But, and so what this text is saying is that it's not saying that every time we have not seen the answer to healing, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's not it. It's not to beat us over our head. Sometimes it's other things. It it mentions in the text sin. Sometimes that sin gets in the way. But also, that's not always the case. The reality is that God has bigger plans. And it's not every time that I can see the full picture of this full story that he's writing. But I have one job. My job is to simply come to God in obedience to his word and do my part. To confess my sins where that's an issue. And to always approach him in faith. There have been times in my life where I've prayed things and God has not answered in the way that I've wanted him to answer. Sometimes he answers immediately. He brings immediate healing and other times he has not, but he has walked with me through that valley of the shadow of death for his purpose as he promised. Other times he uses the wisdom of the doctors and I don't don't always understand it because his ways are above my ways. But the key thing is my limited understanding of situations or how God moves does not change who God is. My experience does not negate the word of God. It does not stop the word of God that says he is our healer. It does not stop him from being true. He is our healer, he is our provider, he is all these things. And when we come to him full of faith, on the foundation of his word according to his will we must expect him to move so how do we get this confidence to come to god in faith the word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of god we grow in faith as we meditate on the word as we feed on the truth of the gospels When we recall the things that he has done in our lives and in the lives of other people. We see this pattern in the great prayers of scripture where they begin with repentance. But then as they encourage themselves in faith, they recall the things that God has done. They recall how he parted the Red Seas. How he routed armies and delivered his people as he promised. How he spoke to raging seas and with a word he silenced every storm. How he healed many people of every kind of disease. How he opened barren wombs. How he raised Lazarus from the dead and commanded in an instant that the grave clothes be taken off of him. How he ultimately gained victory over sin and death. This is our God. This is the God that we pray to, who we come to, and who we believe in. Sometimes I wonder, we might say, well, God, we don't see God operating in the same way as before. Or some, I've felt like that for sure. But I've also wondered if that's because I don't really expect Him to. Is it could it be an issue of my expectation sometimes? As I prepared this sermon, I saw the text that I had to preach. And I was saying, yes, Lord, come. I was so excited. What do you have to say to us about prayer? And then I spent a long time struggling to come up with the words. And I was wondering, why is this such a struggle? And then, as the Holy Spirit does, because he speaks to me in a Jamaican accent all the time. He said, sis, I remember one morning I woke up really early and I was sitting and waiting on the Lord. And it's like so clear I could hear the Holy Spirit saying, sis. Sis, do you believe these things? Before you go and tell everyone else, do you believe that I can do all these things? And it really brought me to a place where I had to reckon with the Lord, where I had to deal with this, where I reflected on the last couple of years and thought, maybe there were some really hard situations that really knocked the wind out of me and maybe my faith wasn't in the place where it used to be. Maybe I'd become more logical and thought, well, you know if God feels like, and God wanted me to deal with that first. I have a lovely housemate who is here today and said I could use her story. And so we prayed together every week. And as I was preparing, I was really challenged and I've been really starting to say, I'm going to pray these bold prayers. I'm going to ask God for the things that are on my heart according to his will. And so this week we met, or last week we met, And it came to the part, what do you want to pray about? And I told her, this is what I want to pray about. As we're finishing our PhD, we're asking God what's next. I said, this is it. Very specific. And if you know my housemate, you would know that this is exactly how she responded. Wow. That's so bold. And so her response to that then was that, well then, I want to ask God for this. And so she had her own prayer. But that begged the question then, why hadn't we prayed like this before? We've been, praying, we've been praying like this for almost a year. What's different now? And I asked so young, my housemate, and her response was, to be honest, it really is that I just figured it was too hard to ask God to do. And when I searched myself, it was the same. And maybe I wanted to kind of protect God's reputation. I don't want to ask and it doesn't happen and you know, but God is big enough to guard his own name. He is and all he asks is that we come to him in trust. And so this word is not to beat us over the head and say we must do better, it is to invite us to partner with God, to pray big prayers and expect him to move. And so that's the means of prayer, we pray in faith. And why do we do it? Because prayer is powerful. In verse 16, James tells us that earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Again, no one is excluded. My prayer is powerful and effective, not because of anything about me, but because of the righteousness of Christ, because of what he achieved on the cross. I am righteous. He has given that to me as a gift. And so every single one of us in here who has accepted what Christ has done for us, we pray powerful and effective prayers. James gives us the example of Elijah. And it's like he already knows that when we see the name Elijah, we're going to be like, what does that have to do with me? I don't know about many of you, but I don't really place myself in the same category as Brother Elijah normally. I think of him in like a category to himself most of the time. I think of him like, he was such a legend, like unattainable, calling down far from heaven. I definitely don't see myself like I see Elijah, but James quickly preempts that, and he says, he was a human just like you. Elijah was just like any one of us, with his doubts, with his fears, with going back and forth, with being fickle, just like any one of us, yet his prayers opened the heavens. And that's what God is saying to us today. We are just like Elijah. Some of us may even be greater than Elijah, who knows? But that God will meet us when we come to Him in faith and expect Him to move. And so that makes me think, as I close, of a story in my own life very recently where I came to know the truth of powerful and fervent prayer. And so maybe a year and a half, two years, I don't know, in COVID, at the start of COVID, I became seriously ill. Seriously, seriously ill. And my family was all the way in Jamaica and I was alone in my little dorm. And because it was COVID, you didn't really go into the hospital or anything. So I got a call from the doctor telling me devastating news and it just felt like it came out of nowhere and pretty much he was telling me about the surgery that they needed to do, and I needed to do all these things, and it was so terrifying. I remember the fear that I used to feel every time that phone rang. But one of the things that they said was that, based on where they needed to operate and do all these things, it was likely that I wouldn't be able to speak much anymore, that they were going to have to cut through nerves that would mean that my speech would not be the same. And I remember on that phone call, the only thing after this long call I could ask was, so does that mean I won't be able to sing anymore? And they didn't give me an answer because clearly. Um, And it was just really a hard time. And so many people from this church prayed for me, so many people, and I'm so grateful. But there's one person I want to talk about, eventually my mom, peanut butter lady, she was able to come and stay with me. And I watched her life. I decided that I was going to watch her life very closely to see if she could hold up, if this whole peanut butter approach to life would hold up in the big leagues. We're not dealing with peanut butter, this was serious. And so I wanted to see how she would respond. Would she still have faith? Could God still be trusted after all of this? After we prayed and here we are in this situation. And so I watched my mother's life. And I watched that in addition to always having her Bible open, always listening to a sermon, always praying. She was always praying. She was washing the dishes. She was praying. She was cleaning. She was praying. Always. This continuous conversation with the Lord. And one key thing is that I remember every time I would go to bed, my mom would come and she would get into this position on the floor of prayer. And from that I learned that prayer is work. It's not a passive thing. She would get into this position every time and she would pray. She would pray, she would cry out to God for my voice that despite what we saw, despite the fact that I wasn't speaking much anymore and that it was painful to speak, she would cry out. She wouldn't look at those signs and say, well, I guess that's how it is in life. She prayed and she expected God to move in that time. She wasn't asking whether God does heal if he's still in that type of business, she was about God's answer. And so she prayed and then would go to the doctor and they would give some not good news or would see people and they would just repeat the odds. And my mom, she's polite, you know, but she would just say, "Mm, mm -hmm." So she never really engaged in much conversation with anyone who was just repeating the odds. She would just go come back home and get into her position. And every night she did this. And there were some nights when I felt this deep heaviness and oppression. And she would pray and push back against the enemy. She would pray and push back against the words of the enemy. The words, the thoughts, the things that had been said, the pronouncements that had been made. She would contend in prayer. And I counted 150 times. This woman would kneel down on the ground and cry out to God and say she didn't care about what she saw. She expected him to move based on his promises in his word. One hundred and fifty times. And I wonder if sometimes we've prayed and we feel like God hasn't answered and then we give up. If God expects us to pray earnestly, to continue contending until we see his hand move in the situations. And so, as I close and as we get ready for communion, as I was preparing this message, I really had this sense that many of us have had our own difficult stories in the last year or two. And maybe that knocked out the life out of many of us in different areas. Maybe we feel that we couldn't trust God or we don't trust God in the same way anymore. But today, God is calling us back to trust him to place our hope in him, to pray big prayers and to expect him to move, to expect him to open the heavens when we come to him in faith.